0: Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. My name is Tony Kerr. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking sports tourism. With Jersey throwing its arms open and its money around to attract big events and top teams to the island, is Guernsey missing a trick? We'll be joined by longtime advocate for sports tourism, Dave Pising and operations director for the Guernsey Sports Commission, Graham Chester. As ever, we'll also bring you our moments of the local sporting week and look ahead to what's coming up. With me, as always, Rob Baptiste. How do? Gareth de Prevo. Hi, Tony. And Jamie Ingle. Hey. Well, let's start with our picks of the week, guys. Uh, Rob, what's caught your eye over the last seven days?
1: Well, I actually saw an interesting football match last night, um, which caught my eye, um, and the performance of particularly of a 16-year-old called George McNeill, um, a young northerner who came on as a sub at Portsmouth at the weekend against Rovers when North held out for a 0-0. Last night he made his full debut and he was mightily impressive. You wouldn't have guessed that he was just 16 a few a few days ago. And um, in my opinion, he was the second best midfielder on the park behind Ben Coulter, former Marathi star, who was his usual excellent self for Saints. Um, and I say McNeilow was outstanding. He looked like a man playing in a in, in a man's game. You know, he was really he, he was did the simple things, tough, good head on him, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing his progress in the future.
0: Yeah, not an easy um, player to, to kind of come up against on your debut, Ben Coulter either. You know, he gets around. He's pretty combative.
1: No, but he but he was physically he was up to it, and um, as I say, I think with a fair. Fair you know, fair run of inju- uh, free from injuries. Uh, I think we'll see George McNeilor being a big um, player in Guernsey football, perhaps in the years to come.
0: Well, we'll talk a bit more about
2: football later on in the show. Uh, Jamie, let's come to you next. What's your pick of the week? For, for me, it's not been so much a local event. as a glimmer of hope for Guernsey's premier off-island cyclist, Sam Colwell, who is now in his second season as an elite with Trinity Racing. Uh, His first season was heavily interrupted by Covid, as you may imagine. He got a single race, which didn't really suit him. But uh, looking ahead, things are relatively bright. He's got his first race, all being well, on Liberation Day, quite fittingly. And that's part of a May double bill for the 20-year-old cyclist. Obviously, it's a key stage in his development and it will be a genuine opportunity for him to show off his talents his hard training over the last two years or so and hopefully get some real results to show for it yeah I can't think of many other local athletes who will
0: have found or who might have found the the, the interruption of the pandemic as frustrating to their situation as Sam Colwell you know it was such an exciting kind of breakthrough onto the the cycling scene and, and that opportunity with a with a new team and and all the hard work that he would have
2: put in so yeah fantastic to see that he's uh, last going to get a chance to show what he can do um, just to expand on that, he was due to begin his season in March. So it has been a lot of uncertainty even recently. So we've had two month delay, but he's been putting in six hour training rides. It just shows how committed he is really loads of hard in full sessions. And yeah, hopefully it pays off. Yeah, there's no doubt as well that, you know, he has got the kind of, you know, in cycling terms, the
0: kind of attacking personality that will be very entertaining to, to follow. So, uh, yeah, we wish him all the best and we'll be following things very closely. Uh, Gareth, uh, what about you? What's the, what's the pick of the week?
3: Well, certainly not the highlight of the week was my performance in the Guernsey Golf Union team competition last Friday. Um, my prowess as a sports pundit was proved right, though, because I was looking for lost balls more than I was uh, picking up prizes. But there we go. Um, in terms of uh, my reporting week, um, certainly the, the outstanding um, event was Monday night's uh, basketball between Skipton and Mayside, which is uh, part of the, uh, the title race in the Men's Division One. Um, but um, a bit like Rob, I, I want to single out a, a 16-year-old lad. Um, Blake Carey is um, very highly regarded amongst the basketball community over here. He's, he's getting some game time in Division One, but um, he really stepped up when it was a really tight game coming into the last couple of minutes. There's only one score between the sides. And um, he basically had, a, had two opportunities to score, and he did so. And uh, I, Judging by some of the way the experienced guys hadn't been scoring throughout most of the night, um, it it made a big difference. Um, He's certainly someone to sort of watch out for. Um, On the opposition, I'd also like to mention um, Nico Robinson because Mayside, seeing as they've lost Jason Hooper, is such a massive loss to them because he he is like the star of local basketball. Um, Nico has really taken on a senior role now for Mayside and certainly coming down the stretch there, he, he... Uh, took full responsibility um, to try and get his side over the line. It it didn't quite work out for him in the end, but he's really come on in leaps and bounds over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, great to see. And uh, we spoke to Pete Boes here uh, on last week's pod. Just how does that uh, leave things in terms of the the title race then? Because it is, the the three-way playoff is still on, potentially. It it is, yeah. It's um, how everyone understands it. This is... (laughs) We're still not quite sure with all the
3: mathematics, but um, basically Skipton and Mayside um, coming into this week had to play each other twice. Um, and if either side won both of them, they would be crowned champions. So now Skipton are in pole position for that. If they win against Mayside the next time they play, uh, which is next month, they will be crowned champions. But if Mayside managed to um, come out on top of that one, I think it's um, those sides and Le Manson will all be equal at the top and they'll need to
0: somehow come up with a three-way playoff to decide the champions that's going to be an exciting conclusion and a very exciting match uh, next month Uh, look forward to that one well that's it for for part one coming up next uh, we'll be looking at sports tourism in Guernsey Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes delivered straight to you every Thursday. Now, sports tourism. In Jersey, it seems to be all the rage. In Guernsey recently, it's been the cause of all the rage. Over there, among other things this summer, they can look forward to a Lions training camp, the Super League triathlon with the elite athletes that brings, and another international cricket tournament – that roster of events the result of not inconsiderable investment coupled with the confidence in the return they will bring so is guernsey missing a trick here to talk about it is dave Pising, the founder of the sports tourism action group and longtime advocate for it and graham chester operations director at the guernsey sports commission uh dave let me start with you um just how far behind is guernsey on this front
4: um a very long way behind um this opportunity has been around for many, many years now, and we haven't grasped it. And I think w- recent events have probably escalated it back uh, near the top of the agenda, particularly post-COVID, uh, as a recovery tool to really push this leg of tourism uh, as a, um, a vital element of, of that whole rebuild. Yeah, when you look at what's happening in Jersey, do you look over there with eyes? Um, yes, I think, well, I think you have to, um, because their government's clearly behind it, um, and throwing money at it and, uh, and making it happen. And, uh, that's what it's going to need here, frankly, to, to make it happen. But there are degrees of it. Um, I mean, what we, what, what's been in the media recently and, and those two other events that you've, you've, uh, referred to are, um, events where maybe not so much the cricket tournament, but the, the triathlon. They're events that really are major international events, which are drawing in um, significant numbers of uh, spectators. Um, that isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all. I think sports tourism is a much deeper, uh, a much, much wider range than that when you look at holding and hosting events, which can be as much about, you know, two or three hundred participants coming here for a week. Um, steadily throughout the year, as opposed to a huge event that might draw, you know, five, ten thousand people in uh, at one time, and it's for smaller, regular drip of events, which is really going to be of more help to probably our hospitality
0: industry than than the one-off major event. And as I mentioned at the start, you know, you, you have been advocating for this for for a little while now. Why do you think there isn't the same recognition for it here that there is in Jersey?
4: Um, I think it's just down to. Attitudes and support, government has to support something to make it happen. These events will not happen if it relies on the individual uh, sports to make them happen. Um, There are a few exceptions that could happen. Sports can um, arrange some of these events themselves. But in many cases, um, you know, it's a huge drain on manpower as much as money uh, to make these things happen. Uh, The cost of getting to and from the island, hosting the events... Um, I don't think that's as big a, um, an obstacle as some people do because I think if you put on the best possible event, high standard, good facilities, when, when participants particularly and spectators look at which events they are going to support, they're going to support the better ones. And I think there are people out there who will pay the, the Guernsey premium, if you like, for travelling here and staying here uh, over and above a substandard uh, event somewhere else. So I think that's where we can um, punch above our weight and make that make that happen.
0: Uh, yeah, clearly the Lions um, episode uh, yeah is it, slightly sort of out of the ordinary. It's uh, it's on a big scale. Um, it's been reported this week that that Jersey is funding that visit by the Lions this summer to the tune of one hundred and seventy five thousand um, pounds. Graham, just give us an indication of. Uh, from a Guernsey perspective of what support is out there right now you know if I wanted to start a sporting event and bring people to the island could I could I you know could I expect to find any support in the states yeah
5: there's something called sports Guernsey which we administer on behalf of economic development and that the budget for that is thousand three hundred and fifty pounds per annum so so that's it so we we have to distribute that amongst a number of events but there are stipulations to that guidelines as to what the event has to to do in order to attract the funding so that that has meant sadly i think that came in about 2017 that that has meant sadly that um some sports just haven't bothered applying for the the funding because it hasn't uh, fitted the criteria but i have had uh, a recent meeting with um, a couple of the deputies that sit on economic development and they're making the the right noises now, so we we need to build on that just to see where that takes us. But we didn't really talk about fit, uh, money, budget, and that sort of thing. But it, it was just the their enthusiasm for it was is a lot greater than uh, than have perhaps seen in the past.
0: Yeah. What what kind of events in recent years have been supported out of that budget?
5: Okay. Well, a lot of the the support obviously because it's not. A particularly huge amount of money a lot of things we'll do is underwrite events uh to ensure that they happen um and it may nece- it may be that that they the event organizers don't call on that funding so for a, a good example of that would be the the race meeting on may bank holiday now if the weather's good and the sun shines they're going to get the crowds down there but there has been a couple of years where it hasn't been particularly great and so therefore, their their um, income from admissions has been hit by that, and having the comfort of the um, the underwrite means that they they're able to go ahead and, and put the event on. So that, that's an example of that. Uh, one of the events for the youngsters would be the BWCI uh, football tournament in the summer. Now that, funnily enough, I'm talking about it yesterday. We were saying that you know, well, whilst it is a participation event. The amount of people that come with little Johnny, who's playing, so mum and dad will invariably be there as well. The other siblings, grandparents, may be there as well. So, for one person attending a tournament, you might conceivably end up with with eight or nine people coming over just to for that support. So, in that respect, you know that it's that's that's a good event for for, for sports
0: tourism. What do you make of that figure? Dave, as a, as a as a budget there to support this is, um, it's fairly inadequate, I would say. Um, you you
4: probably wouldn't surprise me, you know expect me to say anything else. I think um, you know these things do cost money, and sometimes it's real money. Sometimes it's um, uh, uh, you know sports, for example, needing to um put deposits on hotel rooms six nine months in advance, cash flow for them uh, becomes an issue. Uh sometimes it's paying someone to do some of the admin because the sports administrators are just you know too overwhelmed with their day-to-day stuff and it, and, and those are the sort of factors that cause these things not to not to happen um, but I see it as a uh, you know as a complete circle of funding because if these events work and they're successful and it brings money into that sport that sport can Keep improving its own facilities and make sure that it's got enough um, enough revenue to uh, you know to to properly maintain and keep the standards that you would a visiting side visiting uh, um, participants would 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 expect. Um, but I think you've also got the whole development side as well, which is really where it all sort of fits in with the you know the sports commission because if that sport is then able to attract high quality opposition for local teams and sports to develop against instead of having to send our, uh, all our teams away all the time and, and if it also helps to send our teams away to the extent that they need to it, it's, it's benefiting everybody all along the line it's not, it's not just a case of money going straight into the uh, effectively into the pockets of the, the hospitality industry it, it's money going
0: into the sports as well Dave, I mentioned at the top uh, the Sports Tourism Action Group, which was something that you put together a couple of years ago now, um, and, and sort of seemingly laying somewhat dormant. But but it sounds like you know the the whole lion situation might have sort of spurred you back into action.
4: Yeah, I mean the purpose of that was to raise awareness, um, and I think it was actually about five years ago. It's uh, time time does fly um and and it did raise awareness but the reality was that unless there was going to be more money made available um you know one was pushing on a uh on a closed door really because nothing was ever really going to going to happen unless a sport on its own went out and actually made something uh made something happen it's got to be joined up um and whether it's joined up with airlines and travel you know ferry companies and hotels and 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 government it, it was lots of Different strands that have to come together. Um, and any sport that does it on its own, off its own back, you know, really has, has achieved something, I think.
0: And the Lions um, situation, you know, clearly there were sort of two parts to it. There was Warren Gatlin's visit and the, the potential for the trip itself. Clearly, there was a massive backlash against... The visit uh, against Gatlin's visit, but do you think actually that the situation maybe have a positive um, result in terms of kind of crystallising in people's mind actually the benefits that that this kind of stuff could offer? I I think
4: that has actually already happened. I think people are now becoming more aware of the potential. Um, You know, I've tried to analyse that particular event as a sporting tourism event, and I find it quite hard. Um, I think it's got, it's one of those immeasurable things of how much leverage and exposure will you get through the media which could draw people in uh, going forward um, and put Guernsey on the map as a place to host uh, camps like that but in terms of direct revenues of how many people were were actually going to be coming in, what was the spend going to be on the island in in that period, it's actually quite hard. Because uh, I think there was a lot of unknowns uh, in there, but it wasn't as if there was going to be 500 people uh, coming in and staying in staying in hotels. Um, so it, it's not the easiest one to evaluate, and I wouldn't have thought you're going to find too many um, comparable events to that one to be able to measure against. It was a fairly unique proposition in terms of what it looked like. It was a you know a bonding trip and, and some training, which, um, as I say, you, you won't you won't come across that. In, in many other sports, I don't think in, um, so it'd be very interesting to see what else now crops up on the, the agenda to be, you know, to be looked at. But it certainly has raised the uh, the profile, no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, where do you see the opportunities then for Guernsey, both you know, kind of both ends of the spectrum? Uh,
4: I think it's very wide ranging. I think you need to go um, if you start at the bottom. Um, you've got individual sports hosting events uh which will attract participants almost forgetting spectators other than you know other halves and family that might come so whether that's a um you know uh, international hockey tournament or cricket tournament or um you know masters sports um which you know obviously very popular um there's there's Rugby sevens, all these sorts of things that you could do with a with a plain sheet of paper and, and actually you know grow that quite quite quickly. Um, bowls test match, uh, obviously we punch above our weight in 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 bowls. Um, I know that that was on the agenda a couple of years ago, and I think one of the suggestions there was that it was going to bring in two hundred people in February for for seven bed nights each. That's fourteen hundred bed nights in February. I think the hotels, you know, would have bitten a, everyone's hand off to have that sort of uh that sort of event and it do, that doesn't cost very much you know it's the organization of that that sort of makes it uh makes that happen and then you start to look at the things like the you know the the uh the triathlon event in jersey which I, you know the figures i've seen suggest that they had two thousand people in for about five days i think wasn't it um you know that that sort of event is is top you know is 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 a a a major commitment Um, power boating can we get it back Um, you know it is is there a new version of power boating that would appeal to to the islands I can't think of a better location to host a power boating event because of the scenery and everything else I mean what that can do for tourism and the local spend when it's there it's just a shame we ever lost it you know, whether we'd have still had it 30 years on is another matter. But, you know, I see events around the world. You know, you look at the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, you look at rugby again. There's a, there's a Masters over 35s, I think it is, international rugby tournament that's been been held in Bermuda for about the last 40 years. And it's all the old international players um, in, their, in their late 30s. Um, and, and it's in November. Um, those are the sorts of niche events that you can you can really leverage off. How much money do they cost? They clearly cost something. Um, you know, there's been talk about golf event, um, which would be fantastic if we ever pulled that off. And given what's planned for golf in the island with Le Grand Mar, then, you know, that's the sort of thing we, we need to see happen. But it could be athletics. It could be, you know, international football. You know, Guernsey play against the likes of your, your Liechtensteins and your San Marinos. and t- Anything that you can televise, you can massively leverage off. And we saw for the cricket tournament in 2019, the ICC, Three million views of uh, of of those matches being live streamed, but that wasn't capitalised on. We could have had a visitguernsey.com logo each side of the site screen for every ball for every match. That would have cost peanuts, you know? but we couldn't even get that um, sorted. Um, you know, and those are the opportunities when you you if your audience is a global one or certainly even a European one, where the cricket one was why not take those opportunities? That's where the investment is, I think.
0: I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned Visit Guernsey, um, you know, a cursory look at their website, you, you won't find much uh, much mention of events, whatever. Um, you know, on the Visit Jersey website, you know, they've got a whole kind of year full of events built, um, you know, including things that obviously we have here, the Around the Island Walk, there's the Triathlon in July, the Round Island Challenge in August, uh, Round the Rock in August, the Breka Swim Run, in September, triathlon, Super League triathlon in uh, September as well. The marathon being publicised in October, a rat race ultra tour, uh, weekend ultra tour. You know, this this the list kind of goes on and on. Um, yeah, Graham, I know. Obviously, the sports commission over the last year or two have unveiled some you know, some lofty ambitions and some big kind of strategic plans. W- where does this uh, where does this fit into the picture? And uh, you know, as the sports commission got the the resource and the um, not really (laughs) (laughs) no no, no. No, I mean
5: we I think first of all we need uh, an island wide strategy for sports tourism and there isn't one at the moment so we we rely on that £28,350 and and, uh, we haven't really got the financial resource to be able to supplement that so but if you look at sports tourism anywhere in the world if if the government doesn't support it, well, then there there's very little that happens. And, and unfortunately, that's that's the situation we're in at the moment. But as I said, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that after our recent meeting um, with a couple of the deputies that, that we may be able to, able to take that forward a little bit and, and see what sort of events that we could possibly attract here. I mean, you talk about the triathlon. Uh, now, I, I was down by Havlick Bay the other day and I thought, well you know if you had the swimming taking place in Hamlet and there was a course from the bottom of the Val de Tez towards the bridgeway you know the amount of people that would come out and watch that sort of event and would it be a better venue than what they've got in Jersey you know I'm just putting it out there but I, I think it's it would be the type of event that would lend itself to, to our seafront definitely and you talk about the powerboats I think that's to me that's a no brainer um, but we we mustn't be too lofty in our ambition i mean i think we could attract a lot of medium-sized sort of events and that would be, be lend themselves more to guernsey i think than any huge great event because i don't I don't think we as i said the island games is probably the best most we could cope with um and anything bigger than that i think we'd really struggle to be honest
0: yeah i think it's got to be proportional hasn't it and obviously we've got the island games coming back in a couple of years but um yeah, for me, a big part of it as well is just for for yeah for local people, uh, many of which you, you know you won't have the opportunities to go away and see um, this kind of big sport. You know, just to, to get a taste of something that's a bit different. You know, it, it's it's only my personal opinion. It's only something that can enrich the lives of, of islanders.
4: I, I I agree, and I think the um, we mustn't get too carried away by the mega events because if that's all that people are thinking about. Um, I think we're, it's it's just completely the wrong the wrong target. I think those will come a, along, you know, one 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 in a hundred might be an event like that. I think the bread and butter events uh, really are the important ones, um, and probably what I should say as well is I think we're talking about sport here, but event tourism as a as a wider topic has equal standing really in this, whether it's art or music, whatever you know, um, uh, whatever it may be, um, really. It boils down to how many people can we get in our hotels flying here, preferably on already, and it goes straight to the bottom line. Um, How many can we get here in the shoulder months when the hotels really want the business? Because every bum on a seat and every body in a, not body, but living body in a bed, um, every seat in a restaurant that, that these people bring in, whether it's in January, February, March or October, November... Um, we just want people coming here, and you've got to give them a reason to come here. So I, 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 it's event tourism as well as sport tourism. But you know, whether it's participants or spectators or families or all three together, which some events could be, um, I think you can get a steady drip of a blend of, of events throughout the year. Which you know, our hospitality industry would, you know, would would fall over themselves to uh, you know to be able to accommodate.
0: And just finally, is it something that you'll look to take forward you know under this kind of sports tourism action group guys you know is it something you'll pursue I want to relaunch that um you know with fresh faces um
4: and and with perhaps a bit more confidence that something now may well come of it uh, on the back of the recent publicity of getting people thinking about sports tourism um put it another way I don't think that I would say that if it doesn't happen now, um, if we don't succeed based on where things currently sit, I don't think we ever will because uh, the time has never been better really to, you know, everyone's thinking of post-COVID recovery um, and, you know, these are the opportunities that are out there. And there's a wider recognition that those are the opportunities that are out there. We've just got to grab them.
0: Can you put a figure on what kind of support would be, would be needed to to realise that kind of vision? I've
4: I've said for a couple of years that if sport was able to get... A uh, hundred two hundred thousand a year, um, and if that was matched by you know the arts as well um, if if you could look to generate four or five times multiple of of that spend on extra GDP contribution from the events that are held, I think you'd be in a very, very good position to then start building even further from there because that would be the proof that this works you know that 's the acid test, and that's that's running a number of bite sized events. Uh, throughout the year, um, we, and everything becomes measurable it 's transparent, um, and then you, you, know, you put on the right events, then the demand to repeat it next year is going to be there, and then suddenly an event with you know uh, one hundred participants becomes an event with three hundred participants because the leverage that we can get through the the online exposure uh, of these events and showing off the facilities is, is what 's going to draw people in but it 's only going to happen once you hold the first one because then
0: you, you have to leverage off you know, off that. Oh, it'll be interesting to see how things develop. As you say, I suppose timing is, is crucial and there's no time like the present. Exactly, yeah. Well, thanks very much for, for coming in. Um, yeah, all the best with it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Great. Yeah. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Rob, really interesting stuff there. What's your take on sports tourism? I guess both in terms of its potential to bring economic benefit to the island, uh, but also what it can do on a kind of, I suppose, cultural and sporting level too.
1: What sports tourism, Tony? That's the question. I mean, I think we're pretty pitiful, to be honest, in how we treat sport and tourism. Um, If it weren't for the efforts of the Guernsey Rugby Club, the Raiders, um, Guernsey FC, um, and the various other sports like cricket etc who do very largely through their own bat we wouldn't be getting many bed nights in in at all um our you know in terms of filling seats and airplanes as well you know we do a fantastic job we're actually doing the job for Orinney and the guernsey states um i'll say it really does sicken me about how how we how we approach sports tourism we just don't seem to learn any lessons in recent years
0: well, Power Boating came up in the conversation with, um, with Dave Pising and Graham Chester. I'm sure some listeners will remember uh, Power Boat Week when it was a very big deal here. I know, Rob, you've been speaking to Dick Ridout, one of the brains behind the event about the impact it had and why it disappeared eventually from the calendar.
1: How did Power Boat Week come about and what sort of costs were involved and how were the states, how were the states involved?
6: Power Boat Week... Initially came about with Mike Waldron from the Tourist Board, Richard Ozan, Dave Corson and Jerv. And the Tourist Board's view was if we can use the water that surrounds us, then we're not taking up island space and we'll bring in tourism indirectly, and therefore that will then bring in a lot of publicity. So they wanted to use it for publicity um, and for sort of ancillary tourism and if you take it that jenny used to book six thousand bed nights for two weeks in the fortnight of powerboat week we haven't got six thousand beds now Mm. but that's the sort of number of people that by 1988 that's within four years they're the sort of visitors that came so then, it was a different ball game because we had worldwide t- television. Uh, as an example, in '88, there was £204 million worth of press coverage, all supported by cuttings and magazines, etc. And for that, the Tourist Board, who were most supportive, as were all the government departments, Fire Brigade, Ambulance, State Works, all of them totally supported the idea of bringing people here they put in two hundred and fifty thousand pounds in those days you didn't pay for States works or flowers it was all part of Guernsey limited and in fact in all those years ago I got told off in the States for calling it Guernsey limited because that's how Dave and I saw it it was just part of Guernsey so when we brought powerboat well I didn't bring powerboat We of did and Dave and we built it up to an international event and that's what brought in the swan event. We took the swan event from cows, which you can imagine got there. And that didn't cost the states a lot of money because by then we were on a roll with, we had the publicity, we had, we had all the coverage, we had all the journalists, we had the TV companies. So they came and covered it, didn't cost much. So my view is you've got to invest in some flagship event of some sort and then live off of it. I mean in those days, for example, we had snakeboarding coming down the Val de Terres, where they used all our facilities. Um, but at the same time there was the triathlon from Lanquest that one of the police chaps used to run. Yeah,
1: sure.
6: And what I tried to, to do was to knit together four or five events, for example cycling try it so that they could use the same facility and then have a month's sporting bonanza we'd never quite got that off the ground we got it off the grounds for powerboats. we got it off the grounds for sailing look at fishing it is a huge following just take the word fishing and you can um, bring so many people via television let alone when we get to our hockey, our football, our cricket and our, you know, our, our day-to-day fantastic sports. Take table tennis, hell of a following. And it doesn't... What Richard Ozan used to say is what we don't want to do, although unfortunately I had blew it, um, we don't want to fill all the hotels with competitors, we want to fill the hotels with tourists or journalists. So you want, in those days, the idea was sports, that brought a niche sport, let's say 200 competitors and then everything else got filled up with their supporters.
1: Where did it go all wrong then? in the end, Um, (coughs) why did it fall apart?
6: Well I'm afraid, I don't like to admit this but um, it was probably my fault. Uh, We went to a tourist board meeting, Dave and I, to talk through what exposure we had previous year and to what we were looking forward to doing the the next year which we did every year and when Richard Ozan was there very supportive Jeff Norman was very supportive Uh, but we were in a tourist board meeting a chap called Brian Russell was one of the deputies and he said to us it's all well and good 200 million pounds of the publicity but look these magazines are from Japan these are from America this one's from New Zealand they're no good to us so I said, well, if they're no good to you, nor is the event. Gave him a cheque back and walked out. And if I'm really honest with you, Dave had to spin it, finish the speech because I was in tears and I walked out. Mm. And we took it to Plymouth and then to Dundee. So I'm afraid it was me. I just couldn't bear somebody saying you don't want publicity. So you've invested £250,000. You've got over £200 million of the coverage, and that's not good enough.
1: Did you f- have to fight really hard to get that two hundred and fifty thousand? Because that seemed a lot of money um, going back then.
6: Certainly was. Well I think again the tourist board started it with five thousand or ten thousand, I can't remember, that was in Gerb's Day. And they could see the wisdom of increasing it. Now, you know, when you do an event like eighty-eight, that's over a million pounds it costs to put on. We had to raise that through sponsorship a lot of us put our own resources in, um, and the 250,000 basically went on publicity. So we employed a um, Tony Jardine, who in those days, he worked on the Formula One circuit. So he 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 got paid nearly all that budget, but he brought all the Formula One people. We'd always do the event so it didn't clash with the Formula One race. And we also used to do a press day in between normally just after Silverstone so all the press used to come for that that's how we built up the press mm-hmm. and those chaps used to spread the word to the other well you know well um, yourselves how press works mm-hmm. and if there's a story it's worth wa- following mm-hmm. so that's that's how it started and it gradually got built up and then after 2000 after 1988 it then was cut back to 200 then 100 Absolutely no problems at all because we'd spent all the money getting the stuff. All right, probably we would have had to stepped up a gear, but if I'm honest, well, we we led the world. Every competitor wanted to come. You know, 122 boats were here in '88, and in '89 for Swan Week, there were 68 Swan yachts. I mean, you don't get that. And I'd been offered the World Championships instead of it going to Nantucket. It was going to come here the following time. So obviously... Because people love it. They love the water. They love the island. They like the changeable weather conditions. One day it's windy. Next day it's not. Um, And they love all the people. mm -hmm. Some of the New Zealanders still come here for holiday. All
1: right. So... Do you feel that in modern Guernsey that we, um, we've, we're we missing a trick in terms of sports tourism?
6: Most definitely. I think sports tourism is the bones of future tourism. There's no doubt about it. We proved how you could do it. We've done that. Jersey were sick as parrots when we did it. Um, they tried all sorts of ways of getting in on, on it, but the competitors wouldn't go there. Um, they've done very well with their triathlon is it yeah you know i mean good 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 on them they've done a good job um the rugby business frankly they will get so much publicity but what you've got to have is a publicity machine to handle it it's all well and good getting the publicity in the newspapers and on the television but you've got to be able to use it and follow it on so it's all well and good having the lions here for a fortnight but you've got to be able to use that and you know, use one or two of those lines to be sort of little ambassadors. And But we need a decent publicity machine here. That's where I think it comes from. You know, I think the press have got, are very vital to it. I think Channel TV and the BBC are very vital to it. You know, it's got to be seen. And I mean, when we used to have the TV, like BBC, they'd be showing them on all the regions in England. You can't buy that you by having the lions, you will get publicity but you must have a machine of your own to utilize it
1: and it was interesting to see listen um i'm back with dick ridd out there about how they approached it um all those years ago 30 years ago and um, um i like what he you know what he said about guernsey using its scenery fantastic scenery as the big selling point, and that's what we need to get one of the key things we need to go um, to use going forward. Um, I've often thought that you know, we've got a fantastic event like the all terrain running event, which is held every, every July. Why don't we make that an international event? It would cost, cost us very, very little, and we could use all our fantastic scenery the cliffs, Herm, beaches, town, Summery Park, etc. get international runners over best German runner, best French runner, best Italian runner. Get them on, film it and sell it off. You know, that's the sort of thing I think we need, you know, could really, really pay for a very relatively small price. But no, um, I say our sports tourism don't seem to, uh, sports tourist people don't really seem to get sport and they're not interested. They just want to cash in on what the likes of Raiders and Guernsey FC do.
0: I like the idea of what you're proposing in terms of the All-Terrain Challenge. I'm not sure Jamie will. They'll be bumped, uh, bumped down the, uh, the pecky order in a few <laughs> places. <laughs> okay, before we finish for today, let's have a look ahead to what's coming up this weekend. Uh, Jamie, let's start with you. Where are you going to be?
2: It's going to be a packed weekend for sports. Um, one event being the Island Squash Finals. Um, those were due to play, take place on Saturday the 23rd of January after holding preliminaries in the week, but we all know what happened that Saturday. Um, now, three months later, they're looking at holding them Friday Doubles Finals, Saturday Singles Finals. We also have the start of the competitive rowing season, which should be really interesting throughout the fleet.
0: Yeah, fantastic. The squash, as Gareth, you were saying, yeah, one of the longest squash tournaments in history.
3: Yeah, the Ireland squash championships are usually held over about three or four days and they, they got first, through the first few days and um, they got through the semifinals on a Friday night and then the next morning they couldn't host the, <laughs> the finals until 23rd of April or whatever it's going to be. So um, yeah, it's probably the longest championships they've ever held. Where are you going to be this weekend? Um, I'm going to be out on Landcrest. Golf is getting into full swing now, pardon the pun. Um, But um, this weekend is the the Open Foursomes, which is quite a prestigious event, and um, it's a full field. They start at 7 o'clock, and the last group out is at 3.30, so I think there's 160 pairs going out for that and it is a full range of abilities i mean there's some sort of island caliber partnerships out there i think the two dannies uh, blondel and bisson are playing together and a few others like that and there's also some very interesting family pairings and be interested to see how how those things develop if um, things if certain shots go wrong it's always quite funny to see the reaction of um, father or son or <laughs> father and daughter in this case maybe um, but yeah so that's uh, one of the the first major events of the golf season um which will be at, uh, hosted by the Royal Guernsey.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Rob, football for you?
1: Yeah, I've got the, getting the passport out and i <laughs> heading up to St Peter's Saturday afternoon to watch Sylvans play Bells in a game which will be key in terms of the chase of the third place in the Premier League and a wee way cup spot next season. Sylvans have wobbled, of course, the last couple of weeks. Um, can't, can't afford to lose another game, really. Um, and I think Bells who are running into some decent form, will probably fancy their chances. Don't think there'll be much in it. Um, Meanwhile, Smartins should go top of the table with a win at Rangers, and um, Manza go to Alderney. And there's a Grand Fork, Road, Grand Fork Road derby between North and Velere. And while we're on the
0: subject of football, uh, getting ever closer to the very top of the top 100 countdown, we're into the top 10. A bit of debate this week uh, already over Ross Allen's place at number nine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, Ross, a terrific player, of course. And the people who've seen him over the last 15 years will immediately think, he, you know, he is exceptional player and should... I probably can't imagine how there'd be a better player. But as I think you'll see over the coming days, the the players who were above him, um, had their own fantastic records themselves and um fantastic careers. It's it's it it's it's been a bit of fun. It reaches a climax next week. Friday week is the when we'll be announcing the overall winner and um and I think um yeah, I'm pleased the way it's gone to be honest. Um of course it's caused a bit of debate, but um I think it's been a worthwhile exercise, nevertheless.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think it's fair to say there really there isn't much to separate those players
1: in the top ten. No, not at all. Not at all. It all depends if you're a, if you're a, somebody who appreciates great defending, you'll probably go with the, def- um, the centre half. If you're somebody who just wants to, is excited by goals, you're naturally going to fall to people like Ross Allen and a Kevin a Tisha, et cetera. etc. Um, but that's the way it is. That's for, you know. But um, we hope what we try to do with this is to weigh up every single attribute of these players and look at their careers in total. And for example, something like Ross, his career, of course, is not finished yet. So the Ross Allen story will continue beyond the announcement next week.
0: Yeah, and uh, Gareth, we had Graham Chester on today. Yeah, uh, you know, a fine goalkeeper in his day. Uh, you had a nice little anecdote about him. He would have played with you know some of the the keepers that have. Um, Uh, that have been revealed on the list so far.
3: Yeah, I mean, Chessy played against some of the great keepers and also he he coached some of the more recent ones as well. Um, Yeah, the the funny one about Chessy is he was once uh, Guernsey Player of the Year back in the the 80s and in the days when um, it was done by... Um, opposition coaches picking a player of the match every time Chessie was in goal for Rovers in those days and Rovers weren't the strongest side around so basically every game Chessie was a very busy man and after pretty much every game I think um, the opposition coach always decided Chessie would have been Rovers' man of the match so he ended up um, being player of the year (laughs) Um, and I think they actually
0: changed the rules after that one because they didn't want someone (laughs) of Chessie's standing to be (laughs) player of the year again Oh, well, he, he didn't make the top 100 at the end. Uh, but hey, the, yeah, plenty of debate to be had about it. and I'm sure there will be over the next few days. Um, yeah, look forward to seeing uh, those final Indeed, while well, we're up. talking
1: goal, goalkeepers and Rovers goalkeepers of old, I, I'll just throw in the fact, I think the best goalkeeper I ever saw, and of course he's not even mentioned in his top 100, was a young chap called Grant Williamson, who I had the pleasure of playing alongside in the Rovers youth ranks and also the schoolboy Maratti side. But... When he played at the age of 16, he was huge. He, he looked a bit like Tarzan. He had really, really long hair, absolutely huge hands, the size of Pat Jennings, and was prone to playing in really tight bell bottom jeans. And I seem <laughs> to remember the old Vic Cup final. At one end, St Martin's and their star studded lineup had the great Roger Throome in goal, and Rovers had Grant in the other goal with his usual tight tight jeans, but on this occasion he had a great big belt with a huge buckle in the middle. (laughs) And before the kick-off, there was a bit of a fuss because Jeff Ogier, I think, was his referee even back then, this was probably about 1974, was insistent that Grant takes his buckle off in case it hurts somebody. Grant Grant wasn't happy, but he worried he was a fantastic goalkeeper, believe me, and unfortunately, but after that year, he didn't hang around. He left the island, I think he went off to Germany and joined the and pet <laughs> crowd, and we never saw him again. But he was, believe me, he was utterly brilliant.
0: Oh, football really has changed. Yeah, you're used to refs checking your, checking your boots and jewellery these days, but belt buckles is... Uh, oh, I mean, we're not quite stylish these days, but perhaps. No, no,
1: Grant was a strange and exceptional character. <laughs> More goalkeepers
0: in jeans, please. That's what I want to see before the end of the season. Uh, Right. Well, thanks very much, guys. Uh, Awesome stuff. Uh, As ever, all the best coverage of local sport you'll find, of course, in the Guernsey Press. Uh, More on the weekend sport on Saturday. Uh, And, of course, a look back at everything that happens in uh, Monday's paper as well. Follow us online um, on Twitter at GSY Press Sport on Instagram at GSY Press Sport as well. Uh, We'll be back on Monday with the football show and next Thursday with another sport podcast. Uh, But, yeah, thanks very much for listening and have a great weekend.